0: agnes kurtzels i'm whitney winter and my name is claire horning welcome to the ag knowledge podcast welcome back to our last episode of the semester for ag knowledge this week we're talking about mental health finding some resources on that and we'll start off with an interview with andrea hartman who works at the center for rural affairs can you go ahead and introduce yourself for me Yeah, Uh,
1: my name is Andrea Hartman, and I'm a policy assistant at the Center for Rural Affairs. What does the Center for Rural Affairs do? So the Center for Rural Affairs was established in 1973 in Northeast Nebraska, and our home office is in Lyons, Nebraska, but we also have staff in other states, which include Iowa, South Dakota, and Minnesota. We mainly exist to build more vibrant rural communities, but we have a couple of different ways that we do that. One is through farm and agricultural policy. One is through state policy work, and we also engage rural people in climate action.
0: Awesome. So what is your specific job there and kind of what are the duties that go along with that?
1: Yeah, so I'm a policy assistant and I'm based out of our Lions office. I've been at the center for almost a year and a half now. Um, And though my family has been farming in the Wahoo area for over 100 years, I'm still learning a lot about. (laughs) Yeah, I'm still learning a lot about the many different facets of agriculture, you know, just because your family farms doesn't mean you know anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But so the issues that I work on are mostly ag related, which include conservation as well as some of the different programs for farmers and ranchers that have come out in response to the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm also the person who you might call or who, who you might talk to. If you call the center with a question related to ag or different programs available, Um, If I don't know the answer, I'll help you find it and connect you with the right person. So if someone has a question about uh, a program on livestock, then I'm, I'm the person who might help you find the answer who you need to talk to.
0: And then what kind of got you into this job or into the ag field? Was it the farming experience that you had or was it something else?
1: Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say that I had farming experience like my my immediate family we had like five cattle when i was growing up so i i don't know that i would call that a farm per se but uh i'm a born and raised rural nebraskan and i've always preferred the country to the city um and i care a lot about how our communities and the environment interact Uh, i also don't think that conservation and preservation of our natural resources should be limited to state and national parks so i knew that i was interested in conservation but I found sort of that most jobs focused on conservation seem to be more focused on the preservation of like, quote unquote, designated natural spaces like state parks. So I personally think that the conservation of working lands, like land that's actively being used for production, whether it's crops or livestock, is going to be a critical thing for any farm or ranch moving forward. Uh, I think it's a good decision economically when you think about the productivity of the land in the long term. And doing conservation on the farm means looking forward, like not just five years, but for 10 or 50 or 100 years. But I do think that having many family members who farm and have cattle, I understand how much work goes into maintaining the farm. So trying to trying to help people take those those little steps without making it seem too overwhelming and showing them what programs maybe can help them take those first steps.
0: So do you think that's helped you talk to people and relate with people since you kind of grew up in a, not necessarily on a farm yourself, but kind of in a farming community? Has that helped you with your job and pushing conservation? Uh, I would say absolutely, mostly because
1: like misconceptions that my grandpa has are the exact same misconceptions that I had when I came into this job. Um, So the things that were able to convince me, I think are usually the things that might help show someone else who believes in that same misconception, you know, what the sort of like, whether you say it's backed by science or whether it's a good decision economically. Yeah. Like I came into this job definitely with a very, uh, you know, salt of the earth idea of how ag
0: worked. So we're talking about misconceptions. Do you think that if like ag curriculum, ag education was more widespread, that that would help mitigate some of those? Or how would you go about kind of lessening kind of the misinformation that surrounds certain subjects in agriculture?
1: Yeah, I think like, at least I, I went to college at the university of Nebraska Lincoln. Mm -hmm. Um, And in my experience, like information about ag is pretty relegated to, to things to the people who are already working on ag. So it, it sometimes feels a little insular, and if you're just one who eats food, you know, like <laughs> I was, then you might not understand the, the intricacies of the industry. So mm-hmm. I think if the conversation was a little more mainstream, that would help. Um, because I think that, and that's part of what we try to do at the Center for Rural Affairs is trying to just share information to not just like farmers and ranchers, but also like the consumer and to see, you know, how we can, present the facts as simply as possible so that people can make their own decisions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So do you find that social media plays a big role in kind of how you guys get the word out about yourselves or um, just in general with misconceptions, do you think social media helps spread those as well? Yeah, I, uh, that was one of the things
1: that I discovered at this job is that most of the farmers that we talk with, like a lot of the farmers that I know are not Usually people who are really active on social media, like when I think of the people in my family who farm, like my grandpa does certainly not have a Facebook or a Twitter or, you know, anything along those lines. So when it comes to doing outreach to farmers, while we do do some things on social media, we really try to keep it pretty mainstream, like on our website or through press releases in local newspapers um, or, you know, doing doing different uh, outreach on the radio um, or even calling people on their phones because that's usually the best way to get in touch with the type of farmers that we that we usually see in um, you know the key states we work in but that's not to say that there aren't young farmers who are who are definitely more active on social media but just that that's definitely not the basket we put the majority of our eggs in.
0: No that makes so much sense because I was gonna say I don't think any of my grandparents have any type of social media either. So I, I guess using those oh, yeah. traditional sources reaches those audiences better. Mm-hmm. So that makes and sense. And
2: we're,
1: we're, yeah, still trying to figure out how better to engage on social media. But for the most part, most of the farmer contacts I have are are not, yeah, on those those key social media sites.
0: Okay, so um, I'm kind of gonna switch topics a little bit, on you here. So I want to know how mm-hmm. have you seen the COVID nineteen pandemic kind of impact farms and kind of rural communities.
1: Yeah, so this is a huge question. Um, COVID-19 impacted a ton of people in many ways and it impacted farmers in many ways too. Uh, Early on in the pandemic, in March and April of last year, myself and a few of my colleagues made calls to farmers in our networks to just see how they were doing. Um, You know, if there was anything we could help them with or people we could put them in contact with. And farmers are not people who like to complain, but a few trends did pop up. Um, The first being that grain and livestock prices were just down generally.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Ranchers really struggled to get their finished animals to meat processors. There were a lot of discussions on what to do there um, since many processors shut down and the ones that were open were extremely backed up. Fruit and vegetable farmers and those whose main buyers were schools and restaurants suddenly had nowhere to sell their produce. Um, And I know prices for dairy for some folks went down by a third so a lot of f- dairy farmers really struggled, especially after a few bad years uh, in the dairy industry, followed by the 2019 flooding, which affected tons of people. Uh, it was kind followed of one COVID. thing on top of
0: another in that case.
1: Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, it was, yeah, like you said, just a succession of of things that really made the pandemic extra extra stressful. Um, and it was just generally stressful for a lot of folks, especially when no one knew when things might reopen, and you know speaking now and in, in April of 2021, I don't think really anyone suspected that it would last over a year. Yeah. Yeah. But once, once we learned more about sort of the different stimulus and relief programs available to farmers, we started to do as much media as we could to get the word out. Um, so we've again called farmers in our networks to make sure that they were aware of the different programs available to them. And one of the key programs we focused on not sure if you've heard of it, is the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program or CFAP.
0: I think, I, I think we have heard of it. We were doing research for a couple of uh, podcasts a couple episodes ago, and I think we came across that and talked about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. In
1: in the beginning, many farmers thought it was like a food stamps style program well, or even a loan it program. It sounds
0: like just from the title. So I'm sure if you yes. just read it, it's kind of comes across that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of our outreach in the beginning was just letting people know it is not a food stamp style program. It's not a loan program. It's, it's just a stimulus program specifically for farmers and ranchers. So, you know, once you tell people like, you know, if you have X head of cattle, you can get X dollars per head, you know, basically as long as you prove that that's what's in your inventory, you know, that obviously sounded like a much better deal to people than a loan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple things, but um, how have you been helping people recover from COVID-19 and kind of the the struggles that they've been going through? I know you mentioned reaching out and the program, but what kind of other resources have, have you provided? Um, I mean, mostly it's when we do put out information,
1: including links to like partners in this space, whether it's uh, the national, oh gosh. National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition, there's a lot of acronyms floating around in my head now, (laughs) Uh, you know, or even like legal resources for farmers through FLAG, Farmers Legal Action Group, Um, you know, because our partner groups will sometimes focus in on a different aspect of a program than maybe we will. Yeah. Um, But it's also just trying to, you know, when, when USDA releases information on a program, we try to take that information and distill it as truthfully as possible into something that, like I said, my grandpa can read and understand without getting caught up on maybe all the different little facets of it. Um, Mm -hmm. so trying to let people know, like, here's what you need to know as a family farmer who grows X, Y, or Z, or here's what you need to know as a rancher, you know, who, who maybe lives in the panhandle of Nebraska and like what you need to do, what next steps you need to take in order to get this assistance.
0: Um, so then are there any kind of other pressing issues that clients have brought up to you or that they've been dealing with recently besides the pandemic stuff?
1: I know when the derecho happened in Iowa, a good chunk of our staff there was working on, you know, what what we can do to help farmers in that area. I I was not the person who, who spearheaded that stuff, so I would not be able to comment on all of the work that they did, mm-hmm. but I do know that that was something that then Iowa farmers had to deal with on top of an existing pandemic.
0: Yeah. And then, um, what do you guys do for farmers during like natural disasters, and how is that different from kind of your COVID response? Luckily, I
1: have not had to work too much on our disaster response since starting at the center. Like I said, I started yeah. in December of twenty nineteen. <laughs> December <laughs> of twenty nineteen. So, so fingers crossed. I I have not had to dig into that aspect of our work. Like I said, usually the type of Things that the center can offer is if someone calls our office, we can listen to sort of the the situation that they're describing and connect them to someone who's the best person to get in contact with. Um, because the Center for Rural Affairs isn't isn't the organization who is administering these programs typically. Mm-hmm. So we were not the ones accepting applications for the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. That was through the Farm Service Agency. So letting people know who to contact. Letting, helping them find their local office, helping them prepare for what kind of questions they might need to ask. That's usually the sort of work that we do. Um, okay. We also have uh, staff who speak Spanish, and so they're able to go with folks who maybe have limited English, with go with them to FSA to help them fill out these forms or to help them access these different programs. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's a multi-pronged approach, but I, I personally have not had to work too much on our, on our disaster relief so far.
0: Yeah. Fingers crossed. Like you said, that's always hard to see it happen when it does happen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then right now, are your services in per- just in person online, or do you guys kind of do both right now? We're currently
1: still operating remotely. Um, It is, it is always best to call ahead if you have a question, um, especially given that the majority of our staff are work from home right now, Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely reaching out, whether it's through email or phone, I feel like that's the best option, whether it's the Center for Rural Affairs or the Farm Service Agency or the Natural Resources Conservation Service, always reaching out by phone or by email first to see what the, what the policy is there. But we're, we're definitely still helping folks virtually to the, to the best of our abilities.
0: What we touched on this a little bit earlier, but what are kind of your client demographics? Do you have any numbers on that, or kind of an idea? Oh, I don't have numbers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but
1: it. Let me think for a second. I don't really have numbers on that. Uh, I would say that you know proximity is usually a pretty good indicator of of who finds us, but we do get calls from people all over the state and even all over the country. Um, and so, you know, when someone from Kentucky is calling to ask a question about beekeeping, I still do my best to get them in contact with the right person, but obviously my range of expertise isn't, isn't quite that big yet. Yep. <laughs> but um, yeah, but I'd say the majority of the people that we work with are sort of in those four key states that I mentioned earlier, Nebraska, Iowa, South Dakota, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, but we work with, with people, whether they have a larger farm or especially, you know, those, those smaller or family farms, um, just trying to help people get access to the programs that they're eligible for, uh, and, and showing them who they need to talk to. I'm not sure if that answered your question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) And then do you guys also advocate for like healthcare issues and would that include like mental health issues? Yeah. Uh, we, we've, We posted a blog on our
1: website last year about mental health for farmers and and what what people can do to help. Um, But typically other sort of healthcare issues belong in our state policy bucket. And so I'm not the person who works the most on those issues. Uh, Our state policy work for Nebraska includes a bunch of different things, including a meat processing bill that I know was introduced uh, this year. Um, But we, we do when possible try to, you know, help people in not just financial ways or not in just connecting them to programs, but in connecting them to people who can help them with mental health if, if that's needed, because I know that that was a big topic of conversation early on in the pandemic. Yeah.
0: And that was also a big thing that came up with the flood earlier too, was a lot of, the, yeah. a lot of um, people who were kind of cut off and then a lot of their stuff was just gone. And that's obviously takes a large emotional toll as well as a physical one. So, yes. Absolutely. And I know that there is a helpline that like farmers and ranchers can call. Yeah, there's the Rural it's, Response Hotline and yeah. the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. We mentioned those a couple of different times because those are really um, good good resources, especially the Rural Response Hotline for farmers because it's kind of the yeah. community type of a feel.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I know that for many farmers and ranchers, it's not just a profession, but it's like a way to identify themselves. So so definitely having those, knowing where those resources are and who they can talk to is, is huge.
0: Well, I'm going to lighten it up a little bit (laughs) for our last couple questions. (laughs) What's your favorite part about working in a rural community? My favorite part, I don't know.
1: All I know is that every time I leave the city, my shoulders relax. (laughs) (laughs) I I just really love uh, living in the country for sure. And then what's your
0: biggest challenge with working in a rural community? I think the biggest challenge was, you know,
1: I, I moved up near Lyons, December 2019. And then the pandemic really kicked off in March. So finding, you know, sort of making friends in the area, I Uh I felt like, is this ethical? Can I, (laughs) you know, if this person isn't already in my in my, you know, sort of Food my quarantine group. Yep. Yes, yes. Like, how how can I do this? So, luckily, I, I had a young dog at the time, so I was outside walking her all the time. So people in town started to recognize me in that fluffy white tail, pretty <laughs> uh, pretty regularly.
0: That's a good way to go about it. <laughs>
1: yes, absolutely.
0: And then one last question for you: Why do you feel um, that the Center for Rural Affairs is a needed nonprofit? That's a good question. Um, I think
1: it kind of ties back into the reason why I was attracted to this job, because when I was originally looking at work to do a lot of the work that I found was more focused on sort of conservation of these like quote unquote designated natural spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked the work that the center did to sort of promote the conservation of working lands, as well as the fact that like the center's work is so varied and people really do a lot on our many different teams and so I'm still learning about different things that we that we do to help people in rural areas and just because my work is more focused on farmers and ranchers doesn't mean that the work that some of my colleagues do doesn't affect you know someone who who is running a hair salon in in a small town so I really like the the holistic approach that I feel the center takes.
0: Well thanks so much for meeting with me today I really appreciate your input So thank you so much for your time. Yes, thank you. So thank you again to Andrea Hartman for taking the time out of her day to speak with me. Also a big thank you to the Center for Rural Affairs as a whole. They're a great resource for farmers and the ag community.
3: Well, now we're going to go ahead and talk about um, mental health, everything else like that with farmers and how different environmental impacts have, you know, affected agriculturalist toll health. Um, but to start, I'm going to throw a trigger warning right here. If you feel uncomfortable with any of the topics that we're going to be talking about, you know, depression and everything, go ahead and, you know, tune out for a bit. But we are going to throw in a couple hotlines for you. The Farm Aid hotline is 800-FARM-AID or... You can call them Monday to Friday 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time or the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-TALK or 800-273-8255. That's a 24-7 hotline. So if you ever feel like you need to talk to someone, always reach out to those resources. They're there for a reason. But to start, uh, we're going to talk about some statistics just to you know get us started in this. Two and three farmers slash you know farm workers say the pandemic has impacted their mental health, which I think it really has affected everybody, <laughs> um, especially us as students. Because like I w- like went to Northeast and I got sent home right at the beginning, <laughs> and then I had to do online classes, which was a new experience, and um, especially for professors who hadn't taught online before. Farmers and farm workers were 10% more likely than rural adults as a whole to have experience feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge during the pandemic. So uh, that's 65% versus the 55%. According to a recent poll from the American Farm Bureau Federation, it shows about 46% of farmers and workers said it's difficult to access a therapist or a counselor in the community. And AFB, or uh, the American Farm Bureau Federation, urged Congress to fund $10 million in the Farm and Ranch Stress Assistance Network, um, which was with the 2018 Farm Bill. Basically, all that money would go into making it easier for farmers to access, you know, therapists or counselors in their communities and making sure that they're there. Because I know a lot of communities around here, like we share Um, like a central location, if that makes sense. Like the Center for Rural Affairs, like they cover a a pretty significant area. That's what a lot of the counselors do up here.
0: And they have um, places that aren't just in Nebraska. There's a lot in Iowa and kind of surrounding states as well, a couple of different locations.
3: Yeah. But a lot of like with the mental health, a lot of it has to go back to not just like COVID, obviously, right? A lot of it has to do with environmental impacts. Like uh, recently here, we've had uh, flooding, tornado, drought, everything like that can really weigh down on a farmer because it's not really easy to make a profit as a farmer anymore. You know, we don't really get to pick our prices. Of course, you can sell whenever you want, but at the end of the day, we don't really get a choice of like, you know, we want
0: this much for a bushel of corn or anything like that. Especially, I would say, also with definitely smaller farms compared to corporate farms because there's a lot less, you know, money behind them, supporting them. It's a lot more dependent on your success as an individual rather than having a large um, kind of support system and monetary, you know, cushion behind you. And I think that also makes the situation more, more stressful in an already kind of um, stressful work environment the way it is.
3: Yeah and like that brings up the point that a lot of like smaller farmers like where I'm from a lot of people have a second job or like their full-time job where you know they go somewhere else and work and then they come back on the farm and work because we're not making a profit on your small farm so they have to get the money somewhere else.
0: And kind of going along with what you were saying Agnes so I know COVID's obviously been hard on everyone in the same and in different ways so like Obviously, for all of us, um, transitioning to online school was really difficult, especially since we weren't, you know, used to it. We haven't been doing it. And then professors also had to make the adjustment to do it as well. So I think that hurt, I mean, us a lot. And then just kind of um, regular in the workplace, too. Everything kind of went virtual and you couldn't see, you know, coworkers in person. It was Zoom meetings and emails, which kind of leads to a lot of miscommunications. So that's always difficult for for everyone, not just, you know, in the agriculture community. So I think everyone kind of felt that the change to virtual was difficult, but then everyone kind of had their own problems. Combined with that or on top of that, that made life difficult as well because of COVID or just because of other things, Um, natural disasters, fires, whatever it may have been going on, on top of that stress.
2: Also with like the markets and economics, we saw that The decline in some prices and then skyrocketing in others like food and other commodities. Uh, Well, in a lot of that, we didn't like the farmers didn't get the
3: profit off of that either. Yeah,
2: exactly.
3: We saw like that article I read, dairy farmers took a really big hit because the processing plants and everything was shut down. So all this milk is going to waste and that's money out of the farmer's pocketbook. But then you also had like you said, products that skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. But all of that went to the distributing company or to the transportation company or anything like that. It didn't get back to the farmers. Yeah. And talking you know, about the financial side, um, the AFB did a poll and it was 91% of farmers and farm workers say financial issues impact their mental health and nearly 88% said farm or farm business problems impact mental health. And, you know, 87% of that pointed to the fear of losing their farm because a lot of that, especially around here, right, you have farmers that have kids and they want their kids to come back and farm or, you know, to leave behind their farm legacy, if you will. And the fear of losing your farm is huge. Uh, We saw a really big uh, impact, you know, during the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl where farmers were losing land
0: because they couldn't pay back the bank. Mm But again, that's, I mean, a lot of people think it's just a job, but it's like, it's your home, it's it's your basic needs, it's everything to you, it's not just kind of a piece of land, it's your whole livelihood, your whole life, your whole family is invested and intertwined with that um, piece of land, so it's, I mean... It's really heartbreaking to watch people have to go through that and lose their farms because it means so much more to them than just, you know, a piece of property.
2: And with like uh, multi generational families that are losing land now in the like last 10 years and whatever, it's really hard for those families to like figure out what's next because that's all they've known is farming. So, well,
3: we saw. Um When dairy farms are selling out because they can't compete with Mm -hmm. the huge dairies anymore and they can't compete with even the local dairies. And we saw people selling off their farms and that's a really big hit, especially for, you know, the older farmers, that that's all they've ever done. That's all they've ever Mm -hmm. known. Mm -hmm. That takes a really big toll on somebody. We just recently, uh, we had an older neighbor pass away and she grew up on a farm and her and her sister, that's all they did until they could no longer farm until the day they died, they were farming. And, you know, they had a couple cattle and, uh, you know, would put them out in pasture and everything, but that's what they did. And that's what they knew, you know, I want to do that someday, you know, just <laughs> walking around on the farm and something like that. But when you take someone from that environment that, you know, they're 100% comfortable with and that's all they've ever
0: done it's huge I mean it's it's their job and it's their lifestyle. style and then again kind of going off of that then if you have to if you're not like if you're not old enough to retire then you'll have to move probably and able to find work and then if you are able to retire you know do you have enough savings because you don't get benefits like you would at a job you don't have a 401k you don't have any of that kind yeah. of to cushion it it's all just what you've been saving and sometimes you don't get to save very much because there's sometimes not a whole left over especially if you have really thin margins a lot of competition so that can be difficult as well because you're either going to have to move and find something else or you might not have any anything to rely on if you're going to retire and these people that aren't to the retirement age
2: that are losing their farms and land, a lot of their money that they saved will go to the bank for paying off um, farm equipment, any loans that they've taken out. So a lot of that money is just depleted real quickly. Yeah. And so they have nothing else to fall back on because, of course, they don't have like a retirement plan or 401k like you said.
3: And, you know, besides the financial side, there's the environmental side. Like uh, a couple of years ago, In 2018 or early 19, I think, uh, there was a flood here. And it affected uh, South Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa. It really heavily affected Nebraska and Iowa, I would say.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, Obviously, South Dakota did get a little bit, but But uh, Nebraska had a dam break and that
0: Ours was was more statewide and South Dakota was more just like a piece of the state, I feel like, is a good comparison. Yeah.
3: And luckily, it didn't happen during... You know, harvest season or planting season. It happened, you know, in I think what February or March. Yeah, it was yep. like really, um, it was like really
0: late winter, early spring. Yeah.
3: So, which it was still awful because now we have all this farmland that has sand on it or just not great soil
2: anymore on it. And a lot of the topsoil was washed away. Yeah. Which and takes, I don't know how long, to takes, replace, like, a quarter inch of well, topsoil. Well, it
0: takes 1,000 years to replace an inch of topsoil. Yeah. And then not only that, but, like, houses, equipment, you know? Yeah. Like, other, like, physical objects, like um, your house, your equipment, your... Um, barn silos all that stuff may have gotten flooded damaged and some of that damage is irreparable especially if it gets moldy or gross yeah. and like you just have to tear that down and start all over well again. and
3: that was in the middle of calving season so a lot of people lost a uh, livestock mm-hmm. like um, a lot of people lost even full-grown cattle because they got swept away in the current current mm-hmm. and you know when you're calving in muddy season, it's not great to begin with, but then now you have you know five inches of mud that you have to try and find a calf in, even besides cattle you know, goats, chickens, everything like that, all of that was also lost and are not all of it but you know you had there were some instances yeah. of it yeah. and just like you mentioned like mud and machinery is not
0: not great. <laughs> Or mold in machinery is also not great. Yeah. <laughs> mold in anything is... Uh,
3: yeah. True. This is true. <laughs> well, and you ha- now, like you mentioned, your wood barns have water damage, and mm-hmm. <laughs> fixing a barn is not the cheapest thing anymore, especially if it's no. wood-based and not
2: steel-based. And nothing in the farming community is cheap.
3: No, not anymore. <laughs> That's why It never really was. Yeah, that's yeah. why, like
0: Whitney was talking about earlier, your money's going to go to the bank because yeah. you have loans for equipment, loans for all this other stuff. And it's like, well, that's just how it is. Yeah. Well, in, what was it, in 2014, I think
3: there was a tornado and it hit my, we always called it the other place because no one lived there, but we farmed it. <laughs> but now we live there, but a tornado absolutely took everything out of it. We had, I think it uh, took 22 buildings in total and t- knocked over two silos, took out our tree, not tree barrier, what do I think? Windbreak. Windbreak, yeah. Our wind out and everything like that. And now, you know, that was where my dad grew up and just cleaning up after that in itself was hard mentally because, you know, looking back now, it's like we were in shock for a couple of days because All we
0: could do is, like, look at it and be like, we got to clean this up. It's awful. And it's just an overwhelming thing because, like, you don't really, especially with tornadoes, it's not something that you anticipate. It's very much like this happened in a span of 10 minutes and now everything is gone. And that's a lot to kind of take in at once. And it's a big job, especially when you have a whole, like, damaged or, you know, demolished house, anything like that to clean up. It's just you look at it and say, I know what this was and I can see it now and it's all gone.
3: Yeah. Well, and we had, we only lived, I think, five miles from it. And we had 23 goats, I think, and two llamas. And we had to put one llama down and the goats, you know, going through that was awful for them, I'm sure. It was a traumatic
0: experience, uh, those poor goats.
3: (laughs) Well, because, like, most of them got pneumonia because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a tornado. Uh, (laughs) It really messes with their lungs. And on our way there, because we were driving, like, it happened at night. So we were, like, driving to go and see what the damage was. There was a cattle, not feedlot, but, like, on pasture. But Mm -hmm. it was not a pasture. It was just, like, corn stalks or something. Okay, And just driving past all the cattle on the ditch and oh. road and everything and just thinking, you know, like, what are our goats going to be like? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A, a cow is considerably a lot larger heavier than, a goat. Oh, yeah. than a goat. And just, you know, just seeing that also on the way there, it's...
0: You know, yeah. I, I guess I didn't even, like, you said that your goat's caught pneumonia. I, like, have never heard that before. But now that you're saying it, I'm like... I bet that is, like, a really big problem because I wouldn't, like – because all that pressure and everything, mm-hmm. I bet that does mess with your lungs really bad. Well, well, the pressure and then you have
3: dust flying around. Yeah, debris. and just so, debris and just stuff. Just debris in general. So, you know, when they're breathing or whatever, it just yeah. gets built up. Yeah. Because, like, um, during the dust bowl, they had a thing called dust pneumonia because, like, when you're walking yeah. toward dust, you're breathing in the
0: dust mm-hmm. and it can really mess with That's your lungs. That's why you wear a mask when yeah. you're, like – in those places that are really dusty
3: but um yeah they a lot of them got pneumonia and most of them survived the initial tornado right Mm -hmm. it was the after effects that yeah took a lot of them out and like we had one that had a broken leg you know and she survived from it we uh, got some vets to help us and we were able to you know reset the leg that's just another part though like farmers besides you know taking care of our cropland, we also have to take care of our animals and when something like that happens you have to think about it because like all of those cattle they couldn't be sent to slaughter mm-hmm. because um going through a tornado they can get filled with hardware or you know sticks they're damaged they're damaged, they're damaged <laughs> and um lockers won't take them
2: and then the trauma uh just the hormones and yeah. adrenaline that goes through their body it kind of taints the meat, the meat yeah
3: it ruins the meat and so no one's going to use it Mm -hmm. and it's again it wouldn't be very good meat anymore it would be gamey which Mm. not (laughs) not great tasting
0: (laughs) but yeah yeah that's again i didn't think about the whole like chemicals thing i guess that does make a really big difference that really is unfortunate because that's like again that's a lot of monetary stress on top of the stress of going through a natural disaster and maybe having a lot of damage to your home and personal life along with your livelihood
3: right well then that tornado took out several grain bins that were full of corn mm-hmm. so there goes you know last year's harvest that you were storing to sell mm-hmm. and then it took out a bunch of fields so they're you Now you have to replant the fields, which it was in early June, so farmers could still plant um, short-day corn mm-hmm. and get a, a little bit of a profit, but you're having to replant. Which is uh,
0: more money, which more, is more time, money.
3: more effort, more labor. And you also have to clean the field because mm-hmm. y- you don't want to drive a combine through a field that has fence posts and metal and everything else, you know, Lord <laughs> knows, in. Lord knows what else. Yeah, and... Uh, like, we lost a hay crop, or two hay crops, I think, because because the tornado... <laughs> My dad always jokes about this because that's how we cope, right? On that, like, Monday, I think, our hay got washed because he had just cut it. And then we got, like, five inches of rain on it. And then it went through the dryer because the tornado took it. <laughs> Whitney's over there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, we lost mm-hmm. our hay crop because... You can't bale hay that has sat mm-hmm. in rain and then has now mud and sticks in it. Yeah, gross. <laughs> And even now, like, whenever we go out there to, like, like, we have hay that we were just feeding, and I pulled out, like, a piece of tin and, like, a stick from it, from the tornado. Mm-hmm. What is what is it, six years later or so? I don't know. I'm not good at math right now. <laughs> but even on, in our ditches or whatever, like, you can see where some – sticks have come out out of out of the soil where it just didn't get cleaned up Mm -hmm. so you're seeing you know environmental impacts years later it's still a mental
0: toll because a lot of farmers around our area just went out of business because of that again and that's what like these resources that we keep kind of bringing up and preaching kind of Um, that's what all of these are for. They're there to help not only with just like talking to someone about mental health, but maybe it's about like some advice like, how do I come back from this? Or maybe just connecting with other people who have been through that experience and can be helpful or consoling because they know what happened. They kind of know how to get you back on your feet. And those are really important things to know, especially if you're in a situation that. A you've never been in before. B is super stressful, um financially, mentally, whatever it may be. So I think that's really important to know that these resources are there and kind of know that you're able to access those without, you know, judgment anything like that and that they're going to help you not just kind of shove you aside and say, "Yeah, whatever. I hear you, but I'm not really listening." They're going to listen to um They're going to listen to you, what you need, what you're looking for. You know, they're going to be able to help you in whatever way they can, in whatever way you might need.
3: Well, in a couple of those resources, like the American Farm Bureau Association, it's a great resource to go online and look just at what they have to offer, because they do offer quite a bit through their Farm State of Mind program, I guess you want to call it. But Mm -hmm it it tells you, you know, warning signs that maybe you should watch out for in your community and and you know, your neighbors and just being aware that farmers are really good at hiding things and are very good at suppressing feelings and just pretending to be okay. Yeah, I
0: wouldn't say necessarily hiding things, but just like bottling it all up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a better way of putting it. There's that John Mullaney quote where he's like, I'll just bottle everything up and then one day I'll die <laughs> So, like, some of the warning
2: signs that you might see with a farmer or anyone in the agricultural industry is, like, changing, like, routine or social behaviors or activities or, like, the um, decreasing going out and having, like, a cup of coffee with Mm -hmm. the guys at the shop.
0: Yeah, like, withdrawal from social events, kind of Mm -hmm. keeping to yourself.
2: Any changes in their, like, their day-to-day activity? Um, Some other things, like... Uh, increase in illnesses because of the stress it, the toll of stress it takes on the body your body is more inclined yeah. to become sick hurts the immune system yep like the decline in care also with animals so if you're seeing that
0: they're
2: maybe not- they're disconnected
3: more mm-hmm.
2: and then like also like farm accidents we've talked about this a lot like if they're not on top of it and their mind is somewhere else there's going to be an increase in farm accidents or just accidents day to day. Well, even
3: just farm equipment breaking down more Mm -hmm. just because, you know, you're not paying attention or you're just not doing that simple task that can feel huge to you at that moment. Because I know we've talked about it before, but like some uh, farm accidents can be fatal and not being aware of maybe or not necessarily being aware, but not doing those little things or little tasks to help you keep safe can really harm an entire industry or your entire family. Also, make sure to reach out to those hotlines that we mentioned. Like, I know on the Farm Bureau website, there they list a whole bunch of different hotlines that you can reach out to. Like, I didn't know Avira Health had a hotline, but like if you are a patient there, or even if you're not a patient, you can call them or there's even a texting crisis line that you can text.
0: And that's another thing that um, Andrea had mentioned to me about the Center for Rural Affairs. She said they're really good at finding resources. So if you if you don't like know exactly who to call about something or what center you need to go to about certain things, call them and they'll be able to help you. You know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. even resources to help you find resources in yeah. some cases.
2: And I think bringing up the texting hotline is something big. With um, the older generation, they don't want to talk about their feelings. So having this text option rather than calling in or even going into person to see a therapist or a counselor or someone to help with mental health may be an easier
0: first step into talking about what the problem mm-hmm. is. Even, like, an anonymous call line, because I know some mm-hmm. older people don't like to text. So, yep. I mean, even if you call, like, um, the rural response hotline or the suicide hotline, I don't think you have to, like, identify yourself in any way. It would be um, kind of anonymous that way. So, that's another mm-hmm. um, opportunity to stay anonymous, but still, you know, get the help you're seeking.
2: Like, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, um, they have a Lifeline chat and a call, and, and both are free and confidential, yes, so... Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, I uh, we didn't talk about the crisis text line number is seven four one seven four one and you just text home to them and then that'll connect you and you can text them 24 hours a day. Or there's the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Service Administration and they have multiple locations that you can go to and get help. Their phone number is 1-800-626-HELP or one 800 626 Four three five seven. Yeah, four three five seven. Thank you. <laughs> but some really good websites to just you know check out for those are you know the Farm State of Mind or on the Farm Bureau page, the Rural Response uh, Info Hub, which lists a couple of numbers. Also, like depression, anxiety, and stress get really high, especially during planting season and harvesting season so it's really important that you're also taking care of yourself during Mm -hmm. those times because it's really easy to just forget you know during calving season people are going 24 7 while planting
0: which is not healthy and taking breaks is really important because like I know even when I get really busy, especially now since it's going to be finals week soon, sometimes I get really busy and I like just forget that I need to eat because I just don't think about it uh-huh. and then I'm not hungry because I'm not thinking about it. Yep. So make sure that you are, you know, um, make sure that you have scheduled times to eat or have food, some healthy snacks with you um, just to remind yourself that, yes, I need to eat. I need to kind of take a break, detach a little bit and then get back into it because, A, that's going to make you more productive B, you're going to be safer that way because you're, you know, being conscientious about your actions and not just going through the motions. Yes, going through the motions. And then and then C, you're going to be healthier because of it. And that's always a good thing because we want everyone to be healthy. You can always
3: make alarms on your phone, which sometimes I'll do that when I'm, you know, in a study mood or whatever and I'm like going and I'm not paying attention to time. Just setting a couple alarms that are like, hey, take a break, go eat go relax for a little bit and then come back because you'll be surprised what that, you know, 15 minute break will help you just calm yourself down. And if you're, you know, working on machinery or whatever, and you can't find out what's wrong, maybe just stepping away from the project and like, you know, not thinking about it for a little bit and
0: then coming back to it because that usually helps yeah. it kind of gives you like a new fresh view of what's it has to be this or when you step back you're like oh wait a minute
2: <laughs> i know what it could be <laughs> and a lot of it's just right there in front of your face you just you're so inclined to look at this one small viewpoint, and you're stressed about it you need to take that time and step back and look at it and you're like oh it's right there that was easy
3: also just making sure to talk with other people like you know going out to eat once a week or whatever and just hanging out with your friends or neighbors or whatever and just relaxing and not thinking about what's going on in your life currently or thinking about markets or anything like that just taking a step away from the farm and having relaxing. a
0: personal social life that yeah. isn't all about work
3: yeah or even like if you want them to to come out and help you fix the tractor or whatever. Just having someone else there to be like, I want I need to talk through
0: something. Will you, you know, come hang mm-hmm. out for a little bit? Cuz the chances are both of you need to talk. Even I mean, even if you don't want to like talk about it or have someone just to listen to you rant, sometimes those are good things, but sometimes you just need someone to be with you just physically there not necessarily talking about anything but sometimes it's just comforting to have another presence there especially if you're really stressed or something big is going on that you're not really sure how to talk about it with people you can still just say hey I just need you can you come hang out with me for a little bit and it like even if you're just making dinner or something mundane it's nice to just know that someone is you know there beside you hanging out with you being your bud
2: i think the pandemic has really taught us that that having these small moments uh with just like one-on-one and just be able to sit in the same room next to your best friend or your social uh circle and just using that time to just be around each other not even like talking but being there with them and taking that for granted i think we took a lot of the face-to-face
3: actions that like we did every day and then all of a sudden we can't do that anymore or Mm -hmm. like everything is moved to a phone call which is fine for quite a few things but sometimes it's just nice to have someone there talking to you because I get so frustrated like on the phone if I can't see something and I'm talking to someone and I'm like I don't know what you're talking about could you please explain it more Mm -hmm. whereas seeing that person and like seeing you know them work through something online or whatever it really helps me so when we went to like online school I was so frustrated because I'm like that's not how I learn I'm used to
2: learning mm-hmm. you know hand hands, hands, on. hands on yeah I think we're all that way
0: I'm not necessarily hands on because I'm more of a supervisor <laughs> 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 but just kidding but like even just hearing someone talk and participating in a discussion really helps you remember what happened. Yeah. And so I think physically not like physically being removed from a situation and being in like my home environment instead of a school environment makes a big impact on how you're absorbing the information.
3: Yeah. Well, like I've especially like online, like through canvas, which is the website we work through and we do discussions or whatever. I get so frustrated at them because it's not how I discuss things. I would rather sit in a classroom and talk face-to-face with people and being like, this is what I found interesting or this is what I got from the lesson instead Mm -hmm. of going online and repeating what everybody else is saying.
2: Yeah. Because
3: that just, it
2: frustrates me. And it's always like you have your initial post saying what you learned with whatever class that day and then having like comment to comments two <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah and comments and the comments usually aren't related to like what you learn it's just like oh this is a requirement let me write down something yeah, yeah. And it's, it's usually not, like
0: i agree with you because or you did a nice job with this because it's not anything like constructive or you're not learning or getting much yeah. out of it because it's just usually either i agree with you or i don't agree with you because and then that's kind of where it's left there's no like further discussion or let's get to the bottom of this it's just yeah that's there's it. no
2: intimate engagement and back-to-back conversation which we would which we do in person where, like you said, get down to the point that we're actually wanting to get to.
3: Well, and a lot of times, like, when I get excited about a topic, I want to talk about it and, you know, like, not argue, but, you know, have a discussion discussion or, you know, just go back and forth with someone and be like, but here's my view, but I can understand this other view Mm -hmm. and just analyzing, like, an article or whatever instead of just, Here's what the article is about. What was your opinion? Yes, I agree with your opinion, you know?
2: Also with that, having a face to face conversation allows me to assess like their tone. Like, are they angry about this? Like mm-hmm. the you,
0: nonverbals are there.
2: Yeah. And then it's like, okay, yes, you agree with me, but like in this setting where we're online learning, you don't get to hear like it's You don't a, get tone. Yeah. And you
3: can take a sentence in the wrong way exactly. unintentionally. It's and like I think what, we see that
2: a lot with social yeah. media. It's like what I read may not have been what you... The tone of what you wrote it as.
0: Yeah. I would definitely like... Because even, even here when we're recording, we're, you can't see it. But we're all gesturing to each other and making facial expressions. You can't see that. But you can hear the tone, the inflection. um, Kind of whether we're being sarcastic or we're joking. You get that. Um, I think the point to kind of put this all in a nice little package with a bow on top. The point is that personal connections have a very big impact on both your physical and mental health. If you're removed from people, um, it's going to hurt your immune system. Um, there's been s- multiple, multiple medical studies that are done that show how mm-hmm. um, how not being physically connected with people can hurt you. But, like, at the end of the day, um, you need – Connections. You need um, people to, you know, help you. You can't do everything by yourself all the time. As much as you may like to think you can or would like to, um, you need help at some point. Everyone does. So there's nothing to feel ashamed about as far as that goes. Everyone needs help. There's no shame in asking for it. There's no shame in reaching out. And then also, that's going to benefit you in the long run because. Um, your family wants you to be there, you know, your friends want you to be there for as long as you can. You want to live a healthy, happy life. You don't want to be, you know, um, incapacitated by the time you're, you know, 40, 50, you want to be, um, healthy and active throughout your life. So taking care of your mental health and, you know, taking care of your social connections are a very good way to kind of maintain overall health. Even besides COVID stuff, um, just moving away from your family can be really tough or being far away um, for other circumstances. Because I know when I came to college, I left my friends that I've been friends with for 12 years, 15 years. And that was really hard because it was a whole new place. I only knew one person from high school who came with me. And so it was like, I just got thrown into the thick of it and I didn't really have any friends. So it was really difficult for me to kind of push myself to make new friends, especially since I hadn't had to since I was, you know, five. So I think it's really, um, I think it's really tough, but I think it can also be helpful to kind of. Push your boundaries and push you into um, maybe making new friends, getting some new experiences with new people, because that's always a good way to um, expand your horizons, learn about different cultures, learn about different backgrounds is by being around different people.
2: And college is a great way to do that, especially with incoming freshmen or transfer students. You just see and especially in rural Nebraska, you get to see such a diverse population here at Wayne State that you get to do. About anything you want. We have so much to do on campus and off of campus, and just the avenues you can take in your academic career too.
0: Yeah. So I guess for this last couple of minutes, I kind of just want to talk about what we've done with the podcast so far, what we're like maybe favorite moments, what we're kind of proud of. So we want to. Um. I would say I really, I really got comfortable
3: with editing the audio. Um, I didn't realize it was something that I was going to find so interesting to me or maybe like so easy to get with mm-hmm. because, you know, I, it takes a couple of hours to edit an hour long podcast, especially when we go out and, um, talk with other professionals in the ag industry. And I don't know, just having that moment to like go back and listen to like all of the audio and fix volumes and everything like that. But I would say one of my favorite parts was going and talking with my old professor from Northeast.
2: I think my favorite part is be able to just once a week or whenever come up here in the studio and just sit with you guys and talk about ag. Because I know a lot of my friends aren't interested in ag, so they don't care about like new recent events or changes in policies like you two do. And so it's it's a great avenue to just sit here and talk about it and educate other people,
0: which was the point of the podcast kind of. So I would I would say my favorite thing was um, reaching out to people and then doing interviews like Agnes said, because it was really cool, especially since they were people I've. I've never met before and they had kind of different perspectives and they were really interesting to talk to because it's like um especially with Andrea talking about the Center for Rural Affairs I was like that almost sounds like maybe a job I would want someday so it would be interesting to see because um, it's interesting to talk to them about what we're actually talking about but then it's also interesting to kind of see Um, how their jobs relate into agriculture, even if they're not like a specifically agricultural field. Um, It's always kind of interesting to see how their lives have been impacted by ag or kind of surrounded by that or um, played into their lives in some way or how they want to make an impact in the community. So I thought interviewing was um, definitely the best part of it. Not that I don't love being up here with you guys, but it's kind of interesting to um, talk to people that I've never met before. For. i think one of my favorite
2: episodes was with dr Sean hearn yeah. talking about the differences between nebraska and new jersey agriculture and just the culture shock that he had coming to nebraska from yeah. being in a life mostly in a large city Urban yep. area yep yeah so yeah, i f- agree with that for those
0: of you who don't know we ha- like that was just like a snippet of all the discussions we've had with Dr. Ahern about um, the differences. So we we usually have at least a weekly conversation about something that's happened and how it's different and the culture shock of it. So those are it's always really fun to kind of talk to him. And again, he's been very supportive of us. Um, he definitely wants us to continue into next semester, which we are so stay tuned for that we'll be back in the fall with a whole new set of episodes so that'll be really fun and I'm really looking forward to that too well that's going to wrap up the podcast for this week we'd like to thank
2: everyone for their support and allowing us to interview them
0: yeah i would definitely also say um thank you to everyone who um frequently tunes in listens to us we really appreciate it uh follow us on instagram and like we always mention reach out to those resources if you need them because that's what they're there for so um take care of your mental health take care of your physical health be with your family have a good summer
2: Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Ag Knowledge. This podcast was created by Agnes Kurtzals, Claire Horning, and Whitney Winter as part of Radio Production Workshop at Wayne State College. Tune in on Thursdays at 6 p.m. for more Ag Knowledge and listen to KWSC 919 The Cat on thecat.wsc.edu. Previous episodes can be found on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts. New episodes are released on Fridays to these and other platforms. Music is Solo Acoustic Guitar by Jason Shaw, found on Free Music Archive on freemusicarchive.org. The song was edited for the purpose of this podcast.